daily twist. The breath in my lungs feel clinging and thick. But I know his name. He's called Mr. D. And one of these days, it's gonna set you free.
Hello, welcome to the Strange Brew Podcast. My name's Jason Barnard, and that was Bernard Fowler, a remarkable version of uh, Rolling Stones track Dancing with Mr. D. Welcome, Bernard. Thank you very much. How are you? I'm brilliant, especially, you know, talking to you about your new record. Now, for those that don't know, you're a renowned singer, songwriter, producer, and you, your vocals have been on so many different artists' records. But you're also known as to many, many people as the, um, you know, one of the background singers and percussionists for, for the Stones for three decades. Yeah. What was it that um, kind of inspired you to kind of do, do the tracks in a more of a sort of beatnik style? It was actually the lyrics that, you know, that drove, well, not just that track, but that drove the entire album. Mm. And uh, in making the album, um, you know, I selected the lyrics. I selected which songs I would do because of the lyrics. You know, the criteria mm. Mm. was would be and was the, um, the, the content, the strong lyric content. And uh, Dancing with Mr. D was one of those songs that I could definitely relate to. Being from New York, you know, growing up through the 60s and 70s, you know, New York City had a really bad heroin problem. And that problem affected my neighborhood, you know, deeply. So I gravitated towards those lyrics. And the style that you've done them in really brings the lyrics to the fore, whereas you might actually just be predominantly listening for to the music in the, in the Stones originals, but in this, you, the, the the lyrics really kind of shine through? Yes, yes. I think um, a lot of the uh, song lyrics written by the Glimmer Twins, I think they got lost in, they got lost in the Rolling Stone funk, you know, the, the Rolling Stone riffs, you know, people, you know, people were shaking their butts and, yeah. and dancing through and, you know, they were, they were listening to it. They were listening to, you know, those great songs, but I don't think a lot of times they were hearing them. Mm -hmm. You know, that particular song, you know, when I was putting the song together and, you know, I started the recording process, mm. you know, I had great musicians, um, Vince Wilburn Jr., the nephew of Miles Davis, and, yeah. well, Daryl Jones, everybody knows, is a Stones bass player now, guitar player by the name of George Evans, and the great Ray Parker Jr. Brilliant guitarist. Yes, great guitarist, and they all happened to be from Chicago. Well, you know, all I had to do was say to them when we were in the room, I'd give them an error mm. and they knew exactly what I was talking about and they would play grooves of that error and they'd play and play until, you know, I heard something that I liked and I'd say, stop, we, we have it now. So let's, let's do it for real now. So that's how that happened. I've heard that uh, uh, Mick and Keith in their own ways have, have been sort of very positive and encouraging you to do this style with their music. Yeah. You know, um, you know, they heard it the first time that the I that idea they heard the first time when I was on stage, you know, practicing my conga for a show that we were doing. You know, they heard me doing it on stage and they kinda looked at me and they everybody on the stage kinda lit up and they were like, Wow man, that's that's kinda cool. Hmm. You know, Mick said, you know, he, he said, Bernard, I've heard Stone songs a lot of different ways. He said, I've never heard it done like that and i told him you know when the when the tour ended i had planned to record that and he thought it was a good idea and you know true to my word i did record it and early in the recording i ran into keith in new york 
And I said, you know, let me just play you a taste of what I'm working on. And I played it for him. And he looked at me you know, with this smirk on his face. He said, damn, Fowler, you went deep. You know, getting that reaction from him, you know, I knew I was in a good place. And one of the interesting things about Inside Out, your new album, is that quite a number of the, the, the songs come from the Stones' Undercover album. Right. Well, you know, it's funny. Um, I've been asked about that a lot. And there's uh, four four things that I use from that album. And it was not a plan that, you know, it was not a plan. It just happened that way. You know, I was, um, you know, I was starting the recording process and I was looking for strong lyric content of theirs. And so I was, I got the uh, Rolling Stone, I think it's volume one songbook out. And I just opened the book, you know, in the middle of it and just started reading lyrics and just happened. And it just happened that, you know, four of those really strong lyrics came from that record. Mm. You, you've also recorded a, a version of "Sympathy for the Devil" that that brings out some of the you know the style of the original, but kind of just takes that on further. Was that um, musically a, a spark for for this sound? No, you know what? Hmm. You know, when I was doing the record, I said to myself before I I started the before I made the first recording that I was not going to use any of the popular songs. Yeah. And, um, you know, once I started recording, I ran out of money. You know, I didn't, I didn't have a, I didn't have the support of a record company doing this record. So I ran out of money and I ran out of time. I had to go on the road to do a gig. And so I, I thought, you know, I felt, I felt short one song and I, I had some other songs recorded, but I didn't have the time to to finish, you know, the production on them. So Sympathy for the Devil was an easy, you know, it was easy for me to do, you know. I mm. I didn't go too far away from it like I did all the other songs. I recreated the percussion, the percussion beat that the original st- song starts with. And uh, I got Mike Garson, you know, David Bowie's yeah. piano player of, you know, 40 years. I called him to come in. And, you know, and play piano. So, you know, it was, you know, quick and easy to do, which is why that's why Sympathy for the Devil made the record. And I'm glad I'm glad it did, because, again, a strong lyric content. You've talked about the influence of uh, Last Poets on you and this album. Is, is that something that was touched down for this? Absolutely. You know, when I was growing up in Queensbridge Projects, it was part of my, uh, my life soundtrack. My, uh, I have an older brother who was, you know, heavily into, you know, you know, heavily into the revolution being televised. And that was one of the records that came home. That's one of the records that he bought home, you know, amongst many others, you know. So, yes, you know, the, I listen to those songs like kids now in the street, you know, uh, reciting their favorite rap records when I was a kid. You know, me and my friends were in the neighborhood reciting Last Poet. Please allow me to introduce myself. 
I'm a man of wealth and taste. I've been around for many long, long years, stole many a man's soul and faith. I was around when Jesus Christ had his moment of doubt and pain. Made damn sure that Pilate washed his hands and sealed his fate. Pleased to meet you. I hope you guessed my name. But what's puzzling you is just the nature of my game. I stuck around St. Petersburg when I saw that it was time for a change. Killed the Tsar and his ministers while Anastasia screamed in vain. I rode a tank and held the general's rank when the blitzkrieg raged and the bodies stank. my name What's puzzling you is the nature of my game I watched with glee while your kings and queens fought for ten decades for the gods they made I shouted out who killed the Kennedys when after all it was you you and me let me please introduce myself i'm a man of wealth and taste and i laid traps for troubadours who get killed before they reached bombay pleased to meet you have you guessed my name What's puzzling you is the nature of my game. Or 
Going back now, there's so many, so many tracks that you were involved with before your kind of connection with the Stones. I wanted to shine the light on uh, a song that not many people will have heard of, Snatch and Another Brick in the Wall, and uh, you're, you're on uh, lead vocals on that. <laughs> oh, my God. Snatch, Another Brick in the Wall. That's probably the second recording of my, you know, in my musical wow. life. Snatch later became the New York City Peach Boys. Ah, okay. You know, everybody that's, you know, every, all the, everybody that was in the New York City Peach Boys, you know, we were called Snatch before. And we were lucky enough to land a deal with Millennium Records. And it's funny, we really fought against that. We did not want to do that. <laughs> but, you know, the label was in charge. And, you know, when you're young and, you know, impressionable, we, we ended up going with what the label said, you know, uh, I don't know if it was a good, good idea or a bad idea, but it's something that did happen. And yes, we recorded another brick in the wall and that was uh, produced by a uh, famous Jamaican producer, Jeffrey Chung. It's got a real groove to it. Yeah, it does have a groove to it. I heard it for the first time a few months ago, a first time in years. Uh, I had just finished a corporate show and, you know, on my way, you know, leaving there, on my way out, you know, you know, the DJ's playing some music and I'm walking to the door to leave and I heard this groove and I'm like, wow, this sounds really familiar. And, you know, I started walking slow and I kept saying, what is that? I know that record. I know that record. <laughs> then the vocals started, and I, and I screamed, holy shit. And everybody was looking at me, and I was like, oh, my God, that's another brick in the wall. I, haven't, I hadn't heard it in, in 25, 30 years. I mean, it, it had been a long time. And it did have a little groove to it. I was pleasantly surprised. Else did you leave? 
And then getting into your connection with the Stones, um, which runs very deep. I want to kind of play uh, Lucky in Love, one of Mick's tracks from his uh, solo album, She's the Boss. How did you meet Mick for the first time and establish your working relationship with him? Well, the very first time, uh, you know, I worked with Mick, I I was singing for Herbie Hancock. Oh. And and we had done a tour, and I think we had probably just completed a, a live in London at the Hammersmith Odeon. Right. With Herbie. And um, so, you know, I had a 10-day break from the tour, so I flew to New York. I walk into my apartment, the telephone rings, and it's, and it's Bill Laswell. Hmm. And he asked me, he said, hey, Bernard, um, I, I want you to come to London. And uh, you know, I tried to explain to him, Bill, I just walked in the door. And he hmm. said, okay, we'll go back to the airport. I said, and I said, you're serious? He said, yes, I'm serious. And I went back to the airport and uh, uh, I asked the lady if she had a ticket for me. She, she asked me where I was going. And I told her, I don't know where I'm going. And so she said, you have a first-class ticket to London. So I arrived in London, and Bill picked me up, and we're driving through the city, and we ended up in Swiss Cottage at a big house in Swiss Cottage. And he walked me into a room, and there was a guy sitting on the floor, and the guy turned around, and it was Mick. (laughs) And uh, Bill left the room, and Mick invited me down on the floor, and we, you know, he's playing, and, you know, we were singing, and he gave me a cassette tape. And he said, you know, this is what we're going to work on in the studio the next day. And I took the cassette to the hotel and I had a, a four track uh, cassette recorder and I popped it in. I listened to the song and I gave it this background vocal treatment and I brought it to the studio the next day. Um, Mick says, you know, OK, let's start working on this stuff. And I said, well, before we start, let me play you this. And he said, you did all of this after you left me last night. I said, yeah. And he said, wow, it's really good. Let's do that. So, And that was the beginning of my working relationship with the Stones. And then again, years later, I was in London uh, living living and recording with Tackhead. Yeah, yeah. And I got a call and, and somehow Mick found me and says, Bernard, I've been looking for you. Um, where are you? I'm in London. He said, you've been here. I said, how long? I said, Mick, I've been here for months. And he says, well, you know, the Stones are making a record for the first time in eight or nine years. And, you know, come by the studio and give me a hand on something. So I came by, went by the studio and that we started doing um, uh, work for um, steel wheels. And one by one, the Stones started coming in one by one. And that was the beginning of the beginning. And I've been hanging around, in and out, off and on ever since.
featured and, and, and recorded with many of the, the Rolling Stones individually and some of the work that you've done is remarkable in, in a way and you know especially uh, some of the work with the Charlie Watts quintet tracks like My Ship which show another side to you and your vocals that must have been a, a challenge would it be? Yes it was a challenge uh, and it was a it was a treat you know I can't thank Charlie enough for you know giving me that opportunity you know I listened to a lot of jazz, you know, growing up. And, you know, the first band I was in, I played trombone. 
and all the guys were older than I was, so they would take me to college to the jazz program so I could work my chops up to play with them. But I was doing that record. Um, I was doing shows with Charlie on, it was a show based on a children's book that he wrote about Charlie Parker. And it's called Ode to a High-Flying Bird. It's a children's book. And so we went on the road and and uh, I narrated the book as they played. And mm. towards the end of, you know, that short tour, Charlie, <laughs> bless his heart, he said, you know, Bernard, I really feel bad just having you here narrating the book. He said, uh, would you mind singing two songs? And I, of course, I, you don't say no to Charlie. He's just so, you know, such a sweet man. And uh, I said, sure, I'd love to. So I sang two songs. Mm. you know, for the recording of, of that, of that session. And then, um, a couple years later, he, uh, we were talking and he said he wanted to make an album and he wanted me to sing. And I, I leaped at the opportunity and yes, it, it was a challenge, you know, but I did my homework and all they could do was say, no, you're not cutting it. I've heard no before. Mm. But uh, I didn't get no. I got a big thumbs up, and we went on to do two records, uh, Long Ago, Far Away, and another one called Warm and Tender. Um, uh, both records I really love. It has opened my head and ears and my voice into singing, you know, that type of stuff, which uh, I plan to do more of in the future. ship has sails that are made of silk The decks are trimmed in gold And of jams and spice There's a paradise In the My ships aglow with a million pearls Rubies fill each bed The sun sets high in the sapphire sky When my ship comes in I can wait the years till it appears One fine day, one spring But the pearls and such, they won't mean much if they're missing Just one thing not care if the day arrives that dreams need never be if the ship I sing does it also bring my own true love to me 
There's so many tracks, you know, that you've worked on with the with, with the band in the studio, and I wanted to pick one that you're, you know, you're, you're quite prominent on. Um, you know, working in the studio with them, you know, it's a process. You know, they have, you know, the way they work, and usually the tracks get, you know, pretty built up before before any of that stuff, any of the background stuff is added. But I would say yes, there is one song in particular. Mm that stands out to me that I'm actually really proud of that would be how can I stop ah okay i happened to be in a room when that song was being written keith was writing this song and we were in a little small rehearsal studio in new york city and he was writing the song and you know he was singing you know what the stuff that he had so you know so far and as he was singing that, I was already formulating in my head how the chorus would be. And so when uh, the record was actually recorded, the sessions moved to Los Angeles. And I remember being, you know, we were in the studio recording it. And, you know, after Keith got, you know, a good vocal, you know, myself, him, I think Blondie Chapman and maybe maybe a couple other people, we were there to do the background stuff and, and it was taking a long time, you know, and uh, Don was, was the producer and it was taking a little time. And, and I said something to him about, you know, doing it and, you know, he kind of, kind of brushed it off. No, no, it'll, it'll happen, blah, 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 blah. But it wasn't happening. And so let the process happen and just went, it just, everyone just seemed exhausted. I said to him, Don, let me do this. You know, at that point, like I said, everybody was so exhausted, you know, he, I guess he was willing to try anything. So, but he didn't know I already had the parts in my head. So I, you know, you know, gave the guys their parts and when the track started and I just had, I had it all laid out. So that, that 
session really sticks out to me and that song really sticked out to me because of that hmm. and i love the uh i love the choral treatment i gave it and it worked perfect and that was why they they chose that track to actually close bridges to babylon yes yes beautiful 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 song that's a yeah keith nailed that one that's a beautiful song Somewhere else, maybe you should go. 
baby, baby Just a further down the road How could I stop If I start with you, baby How could I stop How could I stop Once I start You know, I also did I did two records with Ronnie Wood. You know, I wrote a lot of those songs for those two records, and I I I, pro- I produced both those records. Ah. Um, and how how that came to be when I was doing this uh, this short tour with Charlie Watts, uh, we were doing uh, the last show we were doing of the tour. We were in Ronnie Scott's in Birmingham. Yeah. And Ronnie Wood came to the last show and uh, afterwards, you know, he said to me, hey, man, you know, I'm going to be make, I, you know, going to be making a record. He said, you know, why don't you come? He said, come with me to Ireland and let's do some writing. And I said, you know, sure. 
okay. So I flew to Ireland with him, and the next day he left. Oh. And he left me at his house in Ireland for almost like, I think it's about 10 days. <laughs> it's uh, seven to 10 days, and I'm, I was there, and I remember getting really frustrated, but he did leave me with the engineer of the studio. So I, mm. I told the engineer to hire me a drum machine and a keyboard, and I began writing. So when Ronnie came back, I had, I think, four or five songs written already, and we came back, and I said, well, come into the studio and listen. And he listened, and he looked at me, and he said, I guess we don't need a producer, huh? He said, would you stay and do it? I said, you know, absolutely. Hmm. I think the first song that we completed for uh, Slide On This was Josephine. He was really surprised, you know, that I wrote that song about about him and his wife. To me, that's probably one of the strongest songs on that record. Mm. Uh, I knew he'd have a hit with that. I still think it can be a hit for him. It's a really, really strong song. And uh, I was, you know, I needed, you know, people to come and play, you know, to, you know, I needed, you know, different musicians and stuff. And, and he wouldn't call anybody. To this day, I don't understand why he wouldn't call he, why he wouldn't make the call. And he said, no, he said, you have to call. You have to call the people. Hmm. And uh, so I called all the musicians for the session. Charlie Watts was even part of it, part of that record. Something that really sticks out to me about that record was the fact that I was able to get Michael Kamen to come to Ireland and write the string charts for, for that record. It was an incredible time.
Continued, uh, you know, working with uh, Ronnie because you, you're also on his um, uh, album. I feel like playing, and you wrote and produced much of that album. That's that's true. Another, you know, another amazing time. You know, um, you know, uh, I flew in. I was in New York, and I got a call from somebody saying, "Hey, Ronnie's in in Los Angeles, and he wants to record a record, and he wants you there." And I'm. I, it was just kind of out of the blue. And so I said, well, you know, uh, somebody, if somebody deals with the plane ticket, I'll be there. And somebody changed the plane ticket. I arrived in, in, uh, LA and I went and saw him and, you know, like, okay, well, what do you want to do? And he had, you know, a few ideas, he had a few ideas, nothing really solid. So, uh, you know, I just talked to him about what was happening with him. And I left him and I went home, started writing. And the next day I went and saw him at the hotel and I said, I got something I want to play for you. And uh, the first thing I played for him was, uh, I got to see. Again, he looked at me shocked and was like, you did this last. I said, yeah, I did it. Well, between, you know, me leaving you and this morning, I got up and finished it. And again, another beautiful song. It's funny, the beautiful things, sometimes the beautiful songs come to you in just five minutes. I'm going out. Don't wait for me.
to ne- neglect uh, your your solo work in, in this period and uh, you know there's a there's a song from your album friends with privileges uh, yeah. from about a, a decade ago new york time that that's uh, you know a, a real favorite of mine oh bless you man again um you know you know i never wanted to make solo records i never wanted to be a solo artist yeah. i always wanted to be in a band but you know Saying that and, you know, then you start living the life, you realize that keeping a band together is one of the hardest things to do in rock and roll. You know, I was pretty much forced to doing my own stuff. And, uh, you know, that was the start of me doing my own solo records. And that song in particular, I I was doing a writing session with uh, Steve Lukather. Oh, wow. Yeah. I was doing a writing session with Steve Lukather and uh, Phil Susan. Yeah. Uh, we were, Steve and I were at Phil Susan's house and, you know, Steve was playing some, you know, some grooves and things. And, you know, he started playing that music and I started writing it. And that night, you know, I was really missing home. Hmm. You know, I, I was living in L.A. and it was just weird. I remember it clear as day. For some reason, driving home, I was really missing New York. And so I got home and I started writing and I think I pretty much got it all down that night. And then the next day, somebody called me and said, Bernard, turn on the news. And I turned the TV on and New York was burning. It was 9-11. So that's I wrote that song that morning of nine eleven, New York Times. I, I, it still shocks me when I think about it.
you've worked with so many people. One of the the artists I wanted to kind of highlight is Slash, and you, you've, he's played with you uh, a few times. There's a song of yours called "My Friend Sin." Yep, he's that's yeah. He's playing on "My Friend Sin." "My Friend Sin" is from the last. It's from the last album, The Bora. Mm. I, um, you know, again writing songs uh, for this album, The Bora. Um, I wanted to put a blues on it and Keith was too far away. Ronnie's too far away. And I thought, you know, I I need somebody to come and play and play this solo on this song. And, you know, I was trying to do something a a while before that. And I was trying to get Slash to do it, but he was, you know, always on the road. So I reached out to him. Just a cool cat. He's like, Hey buddy, how you doing? I'm like, you know, I got this track. Working on this solo record, and man, I'd love it if you could come and play. He said, "Where are you?" I told him the studio. The next day, he sent this tech down with his guitars and amp, and he showed up bright and early. Walked into the studio, plugged in, not a whole lot of fussing or fiddling about. Hey Bernard, play the track. Turn the track on. And he went to it and nailed it. I think it's probably one or two takes. And while he was there, I'm like, we got another track if you're interested. He said, sure, play it. It's either um, second place is the first loser or um, Dragon Attack. I'm not sure which, which track. I need to think about it. But you also worked with uh, Lisa Lisa Fisher on uh, on vocals on on that record. Didn't you? Oh yes, she's my she's my go to girl. Whenever whenever I'm recording and I and I and I have a choral stuff that needs to be done, you know, I, my range is is on, I I can only get so high. My range is limited. So whenever I hear background parts in my head. I always hear Lisa doing it and I'm not, you know, it's, you know, she's so busy, you know, it's not easy to get her, but I, she's, she's my first pick always because, uh, she knows me so well. We know each other so well that I think it and she does it. And it's been that way with us for a long time. It's been that way with us for a long time. I, I remember I had her, I was in Mexico City recording um, recording the Nickel Bag record. Nickel Bag was the band that I had with a guitar player, Stevie Salas. And I I asked Lisa to come to the studio. I had a kind of operatic part. And uh, I was playing the track. And she said, B, what are you, what are you hearing? And I kind of described it to her. And she said, okay, I'm just going to go in. She said, stand here and look at me. And I'm looking at her and I'm moving my hand. I'm moving my hand as a conductor on how I want her to bend or how I want her to soar. And it was like she was in my hand. I moved my hand, you know, a little bit up. She went a little bit up. I moved it way up. She went way up. (laughs) It's just amazing, you know, the connection that I have mentally with her. I have the stones to thank for that. You know, they, they kept us together for... You know, we worked, uh, she and I worked together with the Stones for, you know, about 23, 25 years. Mm. And in most of those 25 years, it was just the two of us. So you've got that connection. We do have that connection. I love her. I love her to death. I love her to death. She's she's like a sister to me. Mm. 
Final track. I thought it'd be fitting, obviously, to 
play uh, a, a track from Inside Out, but it, it seems even more fitting to give you the choice of uh, of which song to, to feature that we haven't already covered. Are, are there any other songs from the album that are particular favourites of yours that you, you feel it'd be good to sort of play out with? You know what? I'll tell you one, and I'll give you the story behind it. I'll give you a yeah. story behind it. When I was, uh, you know, formulating Inside Out in my head, the only song that I knew that I would do was Undercover of the Night. Ah. I love the original track, and the again, the lyric is so strong. After I um, recorded the track, you know, sitting there and listening to it, I thought, you know what, I want to put a different opening on it. So I found uh, the sounds of, of, uh, of a Nicaraguan jungle. I added gunshots and bomb sounds to it to create this mood. And I wrote this dialogue. Mm. I wrote this dialogue of a little girl who's in the jungle running from the war. She's running scared through the jungle. And so I completed writing this dialogue and I called my friend bass player Carmine Rojas. And I said, Carmine, I need a girl hmm. to come to the studio to read, to read something for me, you know, that I wrote in English. I need it read in Spanish. I had been sent a few girls before this, but it didn't work out. And then I, and I realized that everywhere they speak Spanish, they speak it a different way. Hmm. And so I said to Carmine, I need a girl and she's got to be from Nicaragua. He calls back and he says, she's on her way there. I'll meet you there. So she gets there and I hand her this paper with this dialogue and she has her son with her and she reads this dialogue and, and I explained to her I wanted her to record this. And, you know, now she's not a singer and she's not an actress and she'd never been in a recording studio in her life. And so she seemed a bit apprehensive and I said, you know, is there something wrong? And she says, well, you know, I don't want it to favor one side or the other. Hmm. And I said, well, you know, read it. I said, it can, be, it can be a girl from either side. It favors no side. So she went in and I hit record and she started reading this dialogue. And she got worked up and she got worked up. And by the end of it, she was crying. And I went into the booth and I gave her a hug and I'm like, you know, <laughs> That was incredible. And, you know, just talking to her and and in talking to her, I discovered that she was brought up in Nicaragua during the war. Her father was taken. And so when you listen to this dialogue at the beginning of Undercover of the Night, this is not fake. This is real. And it was just one of the most beautiful moments and powerful moments of the making of Inside Out. What a remarkable story, Bernard. That's wonderful. <laughs> before before I hit play on Undercover of the Night, um, what's next for you? I, I, I guess uh, much of your energies over the coming months will be on the on the, on the Stones uh, tour, which has just kicked off with with Mick in uh, good health. Mick is on fire. Hmm. He's on fire. We did the first show two days ago. So um, we have the next, we have the second show tomorrow here in Chicago. So uh, what's next for me after this? I have to make a follow-up record to the Bora. The uh-huh. Bora was a really well-received record. It didn't get circulated as much as I think it should have, but I have to make the follow-up to the Bora. 
And now uh, with this uh, inside out, you know, people loving inside out so much, hmm. I'm starting to write down my ideas for the next spoken word record. And already, already I, um, when the tour ends, I plan to go to Uruguay, ah. where I have, a, I have a friend who's a master candombe. Candombe is a type of rhythm and a, and a drum. And he's a master candombe percussionist, and he's a master drum builder. So I'm going to fly to Uruguay and I'm going to have, I'm going to record a couple of tracks with him and his sons for the next spoken word project. So, you know, you know, as soon as this over, I'm right into the next thing. That's brilliant. So there's, there's so much to look forward to. And hopefully this, the show was representative in, in some way of your, you know, remarkable career over the last four decades. No, man, absolutely. You know, man, you nailed it. You you asked so many good things, and I'm really happy you called, and I, I want to say thank you. No, thank you. It's been an honour and a pleasure, and uh, all the best for the tour. And, uh, you know, you, you, your two forthcoming solo albums that you're, you're brewing up already, that's brilliant. Right on. Thank you. And listen, if you see me, if you see me in the UK somewhere, stop me and say hello. I'd like to see what all the all you guys look like. <laughs> Absolutely. We'll do that. All right. Have a good day. Have a blessed day and thank you. Thank you, Bernard. Thank you. Bye-bye. Okay, bye-bye. ¿Qué puedo hacer? Tengo miedo. ¿Dónde puedo ir ahora? Puedo volver a casa. Yo se llevaron a mi papá. No quiero que me vuelvan a atrapar, Dios. Mira, por allá. No. Es una mujer. No quiero volver a ese otro lugar. Dios mío, alguien viene. Dios mío, tengo miedo. Ay, Dios, ayúdame, por favor. Dios, no tengo miedo. No, no, no. Ahora, cógela.
for listening to the strange brew podcast if you do like the show please consider a small donation to help keep the show archive online it's been almost 10 years since i started the podcast and hosting fees are increasing over time all your support keeps the show running and helps me get amazing guests to support me just go to the strangebrew.co.uk where you'll see a donate button on the homepage. thank you very much Plus, any reviews on your podcast services help to spread the word too. Thank you.